Good morning. Well, we're concluding our, our series on Proverbs. I uh, hope that you've enjoyed the summer. Um, it's good to be back two weeks in a row. If you've been here both weeks and you get me, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the first string will be back next week. So last week of second stringers or fourth stringers, whatever I am in the rotation. Look with me at the word of the Lord, Proverbs 21. Whoever closes his ears to the cry of the poor, Proverbs 21, 13, sorry. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom. Father, we pray for your spirit to give us wisdom. To give us eyes to see your truth and ears to hear it. Please, O oh Lord, we need your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We won't look in detail at this passage, but many of you probably remember Matthew 25. Verses 31 and following, where it shows that this, this last day of judgment, when Jesus is gathering the lambs and the goats and separating those people, and he says to those whom he has redeemed, his sheep, he says, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And he says to those who are described as the goats, when I was naked, you did not give me anything to wear. When I was hungry, you did not feed me. And both sets of people were like, Lord, when did we do this? When did we, when were you naked and we clothed you? When were you hungry and we fed you? This passage is um, very weighty, even though it's short and very simple. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. I mean, if, if there's some answer to know, hey, hey, if there's some secret wisdom that I know that if I do X, Y, and Z, then the Lord God who created heaven and earth will hear me, I want to know that information. Right? And wouldn't you want to know that information? Like, if you could call the President of the United States, you know the information, say, hey, will you do this to me, make sure I no longer have to pay taxes? You know, will you hear this plea? You would want to know that information. This would be important information. Now, I'm going to give one uh, caveat, one, one uh, disclaimer to this rest of the sermon. I, I'm not going to talk about the role of church and government, what I think government should do, what I think the church should do. I'm speaking to me. I'm speaking to you as individuals and to Cross Creek Church. So don't take anything I say as, well, well this guy wants to implement certain governmental policies. I'm, I'm not taking that avenue, which, which might be optional on this passage. Uh, but we're going to avoid that problem. What I'm going to do as I work through this issue, um, we're going to look at four different things. And as we look at them, I have four different uh, words. First thing, I'm going to teach everybody a logical fallacy, because those are always fun to learn. Uh, I got a clap back there. I got a silent clap, so I'm going to a little golf clap back there. You didn't see it. You know, teach everybody an informal fallacy. Then we're going to look at a wager. We're going to talk about a wager in church. So that, that's, that's a, 
a little iffy. Uh, then I'll talk about a craving. And then lastly, we're going to look at a, a particular slogan that we might want to take as we look at these issues. Um, turn with me to Isaiah 58. Isaiah is right in your Bible between Genesis and Revelation, kind of right in the middle. Somewhere, you know, almost 50-50 right there. Page 797 on my Bible, just in case you wanted to know that. On your iPhone, just search. The fallacy I'm going to teach you is uh, an informed fallacy. I'm teaching uh, logic and critical thinking this summer. And one of my favorite fallacies to say is post hoc ergo propter hoc. Does everybody know what that means? Post hoc ergo propter hoc. I got one hand raised. I, my daughter knows it. She knows Latin much better than I do. And so I wanted to make sure I was actually pronouncing this correctly. So because I know how I say it to logic students, but they can't correct me. But my daughter can. Uh, post, after, hoc, this. Ergo, therefore, uh, because of this, post hoc, ergo, propter hoc. So, after this, therefore, because of this. It's important when we try to look at what does it mean, or what is the cause of God hearing our cry, and what is the purpose of hearing the cry of the poor. And Isaiah 58 kind of takes the, the same concept and flushes it out in a whole chapter that we have in this one simple proverb. Verses 1 through 5. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. This is the Lord our God speaking to Isaiah saying, Go to my people. The people of my covenant, the people that have received my covenant promise, right? When you see words like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that should throw you back into the Genesis to say, okay, God has made this promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the children of the promise. And he tells Isaiah to say this, and so here is the message that the Lord gives Isaiah to give to the people. Yet they do not, yet they seek me daily. And they delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake judgment of their God. They ask me righteous judgments. They delight. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have taken no knowledge of it? Behold, in that day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you hold fast to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. See, the people of Israel were in many ways guilty of this logical fallacy, post hoc ergo propter hoc. They assumed that in the past, we look back in the Old Testament and we see people, the people that worship God, receive what from God? Blessings. So if we worship God, if we seek to draw near God, then he will bless us. So let us worship him. We want to draw near. But what's their motive? What is their passion? Their passion was that they would receive some kind of blessing, that their burdens would be lifted. And the Lord God said, I don't want worship. 
like yours. I don't want your hypocrisy. I don't want this idea that if you think coming to Cross Creek Church, putting on decent clothes, I guess I can't if you put fine clothes because we don't, you know, we're a polo and a short sleeve button up kind of church, but getting, putting on our clean faces and looking nice, and we're going to sacrifice an hour and a half of our day, and just maybe the Lord God would recognize what I'm doing for him. And so he will bless me because I have, have given of my day. And maybe I've given up some of my finances. And because I've done that, then the Lord will bless me. The Lord says that he doesn't want a sacrifice like this. Continuing on. Behold, you fast to quarrel to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such a fast that I choose a per, for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow your head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this fast in a day acceptable to the Lord? They, they clearly thought in this way. I'll teach you another little logical tool here called modus ponens. If we go through the right ritual steps, then God will bless us. Right? This is how they're thinking. If we go through the right ritual steps, if we wear sackcloth, we put ashes on our face, if we humble ourselves and lay down in the reed, and if we do these things in the right way, then God will bless us. Well, we did all that. Therefore, God, you are supposed to bless us. Right? It's, it's, it's affirming the antecedent. If we do the right stuff, God will bless us. We did the right stuff. Why haven't you blessed us? And God says, oh, people of Israel, this is not what I require. This is a fallacy, God tells them. Here is your true calling, O Israel. Is it not the fast that I choose, verse 6, to lose the bonds of the wicked, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not for you to share your bread with the hungry and for the homeless poor in your house when you see the naked to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your hearing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. When you shall cry, the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke, from your midst, the pointing of the speaker and the speaking of wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, the afflicted, then shall your light shine in the darkness and your gloom will be as noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy the desires in the scorched places and make your bones strong. And he shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water, whose waters will not fail. And your ancient ruin shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations to many generations, and you shall call, be called the repairer of the breach and the restorers of the streets to dwell in. It is a difficult passage because, you know, our, our natural inclination is the self and, and our needs and we say, oh, well, I do these things. 
I care for the poor. I, you know, I, I can lie to myself. I mean, I struggle with this. Like, you know, Chris always gives me the fun stuff to preach about. Like, like last summer I had to preach on church discipline. I know everybody enjoyed that, you know, the struggles with it. And, and here I'm preaching on, on, on caring for the poor. And I can lie to myself. It's like I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I go to the prison once a week and I preach to those in prison who, who are under affliction. They feel, you know, some rightly, some feel like maybe not so rightly. And I preach to them. I give them free education. Matter of fact, I, at the seminary, as the director of this education, I provide free seminary education for the world for those who couldn't nor- normally afford it. Boy, I'm a good guy, right? I really care. I'm a, I'm a really good guy. But do I? You know, we, we, me and uh, Katrina, when we first got married, we lived um, downtown. We had two different lofts. And our second loft, right there on First Avenue North, right off the street, when we started talking about kids, like, you know, bassinet, walking in off the city street, probably not the best idea. Let's, you know, move out into the burbs. And, and I had some friends who were the homeless. And I would often offer, you know, I, I never gave money, but I would give a bag of chips or a sandwich, you know. And sometimes I might let them help me carry a bookcase when I would buy it from the furniture shop across the street. But did I really care? Did I like the idea of letting them into my home? I remember one, one time, one, about 1.30 in the morning, I was up watching TV. Katrina was in bed. It was just one big room about, I don't know, about the size of this room, but not as wide, as long as this room, but not quite as wide here. And I heard something at the front door. And I pulled back our big curtain that blocked it, and there was a guy peeing on my front door. Homeless guy. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, go, and he goes, you don't understand, man, I got problems. And I was like, I got problems too. You're peeing on my front door. Yeah. You know, did I offer him to come in and go to my bathroom? Of course not. I'm safe. My wife was asleep. Why would I do that? Did I care for his affliction? Like in that moment, did I actually care for his affliction? Did I see him as a child of God created in the image of God that needed me in that moment, in that time? Probably not. Well, I know I'm not. But I don't want us to get this wrong in this passage and in the Matthew's passage and in the Proverbs passage. This is not saying, oh, well, so if you want God to hear your plea, what you need to do is care for the hungry, feed the poor, dress the naked, and then, therefore, I will hear your plea. Right? That, that's not actually what that, that would be just as guilty of post hoc ergo propter hoc, right? If I feed the poor, then God will definitely hear me. It's actually trying to say is, if God is in you, right? We, we all come to God as poor and needy and broken and naked. And when God changes us, his love for us should change us in such a way that it is our natural disposition. It is an evidence of this change, not the cause of the change. It is the evidence of that change. God calls us, His church, to mirror His love for us as we love those around us in whatever poverty, affliction, and torment that they might be under. And we know, each one of us knows what our poverty is, what our sins before the Lord our God are, what our struggles 
And those tend to be those things we are most judgmental about those outside of us have. Are we willing to love those that are different than us? Do we want to reach out beyond our particular circles, or do we like our safe little bubbles? You know, I think in many ways we're, we're, we're like this wager. Um, as, as many of you know, I, I teach apologetics, and, and when I'm teaching apologetics at the seminary, I, I teach really good arguments, and sometimes I teach really bad arguments. And one really bad argument is this argument by Blaise Pascal, who's a mathematician, uh, many ways, I really enjoy his readings, and there's a lot of stuff that he, he taught that I really enjoy. Uh, medieval Catholic theologian, mathematician. And he invented what we call now kind of our modern game theory. That when you play video games, you guys don't know this, I don't think we have ever divulged this information, but me and your El Pastor back there, we used to be in a group of guys that would meet in my house about every two or three months, and we would play a very intense game of Halo. And I have a big studio wall that's about 25, 30 feet wide. We'd get two projectors. I'd put a background so that we could have two teams separated, so we had four on four. You know, we'd get our kids in bed. We'd get there about 8.30. We'd play till we would play till 1 o'clock. El Pastor would bow out on Saturday night about, you know, 11.30. You know, he just didn't want to have to get up early. And, and in game theory, the gamers... You'd have to judge. If I jump down over this cliff with my sticky bomb, will I kill enough people to help my team win even if I die? Right? You know, so, so you're, you're, you're judging rewards with costs. Right? Well, Blaise Pascal said there's two options in this world. Either God exists or he doesn't. Right? That exhausts the option. Either the God exists that we worship or he doesn't. And there's two options for our response to each of these two realities. One, I could deny that to be true, or I could accept it. So he said, look at these options. What are the possible rewards and curses given each one of these options? So what if God does not exist, and I live as if he does? Well, I might forego some earthly pleasures. I might forego some things that I would like to do, but... At the end of the day, my family might be well-behaved. I might get some enjoyment out of being at church and those kinds of things. So it's really not all that negative, right? It's just foregoing just a little bit of pleasure. But if God exists and I reject him, then there's all this stuff about eternal damnation and hell and brimstone and other, that's really bad stuff. But if it exists and I accept him, then, wow, eternal joy. So if I'm weighing these two possibilities, clearly you need to wager that God exists and accept him because of the rewards. It's a pretty silly argument, right? Just looking at the possible blessings and possible rejections. But isn't that what Israel's doing here in 58? Have they really changed? And, and, and is that what, how we're actually living sometimes? Do we truly have this love for the Lord our God and want to pour ourselves out for others or are we just going through the motions because if God exists and Jesus is real, then I should probably go to church just in case. I'll forgo an hour and a half of my day to come on church on Sunday mornings. And, and if God exists, then you know, at least I get this possibility of great wounds. But 
you know, this Christianity thing doesn't work like this simple list. It doesn't mean that just because I bet on Christ, then I get Christ. Jesus is asking for real transformation, a real evidence that this love has been poured out. Continue reading here in Isaiah 58, verses 13. If you turn your back foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day the Lord honorable, and if you honor it, not going your own way, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take the light in the Lord, and you shall make it ride, and I shall make you ride on heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Notice his answer is that, okay, so you guys have been doing these wrong things, right? You haven't fed the poor, you haven't clothed the naked, so it's naked, so, so you, let's do these right things now, and then I'm going to bless you. No, he says, take delight in the Sabbath. Take delight in the Lord. Because he knows if the Lord is our delight, if we take pleasure in the Sabbath of praising and worshiping, then the natural outflowing would be what? To pour yourself out for others. If we truly take this delight... An objection to Pascal and others and of the people of Israel that are being condemned here in 58. Calvin says this, No doctrine of tongue the gospel is, but of life itself. Not to be grasped in understanding and memory only, as other disciplines are. It must entirely grip the soul must have its seat and dwelling deep in the heart, else it has not, in truth, been received. That's what Isaiah is telling the people of Israel. Don't let your back foot turn against the Sabbath. Turn to me to Sabbath rest, which symbolized peace with God. Be restored in my rest. And so the command for us today is, are you truly deep in your soul desiring the Sabbath? Do you long to be here? Whether it's at this building or some other building or wherever we're going to be. Do you long to be with the people of God? Is it joy? Is it a craving? Is it a passion? Because if it is a true desire, a true craving, a true passion, then your natural disposition would be, how can I pour this out into others? How can I keep quiet? How can I keep still? There are those who are hurting. There are those who are heavy laden. There are those that have a great yoke upon them. There are those who not only need salvation, but they need my love. And because God has loved me, I'm going to pour myself out for others. Um... As we know, the the Shema that I read last week. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all these words I command you today shall be upon your heart. And we all remember basic Sunday school lesson. What is the summation of the law? 
to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And what else? To love thy neighbor as thyself. When you're hungry, what do you do? You eat. When you're naked, what do you do? Put clothes on. When there's a yoke that's laid upon you, what do you do? You seek to have it lifted off. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And I know, I, I, I'm not, this is not me saying, hey, you guys need to do this. You know, it, it's like, oh, this has been a tough week for me. It's like, how in the heck am I going to get up there and preach about this deep-hearted reality of establishing Real justice, those who have real pains and hurts that we are to seek out and seek that redemption. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor himself will not find an answer. Answer, And, and the answer to this is trusting in this Sabbath rest, trusting in the peace and the righteousness of God and realizing what he has poured into us. Therefore, now we can flow it out into those around us. Lastly, we'll, we can look at this slogan. I, uh, it, it, it's kind of humorous. I, uh, this week, as I was looking at this uh, Proverbs twenty one thirteen, you know, sometimes like, you know, I mean, I've got some commentaries on Proverbs. They, don't, they say hardly anything about this passage. You look in your study Bible notes. They don't really say anything. Oh, this is, you know, Israel you know, was, you know, un, under this exile in Babylon, and, and then they're struggling, and, and, and so they want God to again act on their behalf and restore them, but, but yet there's some infighting, and they don't care, and, and you know, just, just general stuff. And I, I finally realized, I was like, well, I'll just look at, for some sermons, and on the Proverbs 21 passage, there's nothing. Like I went to modernism.com to say, what is somebody, nothing. You know, so I knew I had to go to some other passage and I went to a Tim Keller sermon here on Isaiah 58. Because I knew the, 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 the suffering servant songs of Isaiah. And, and as Tim Keller was talking about this, he started saying the slogan t- towards the end of the sermon, which I think uh, is what I need to be reminded of, and I knew that you would need it yourself. And he kept saying over and over, we need to get you out of yourself. Simple slogan. We need to get you out of yourself. And I know that about myself. I need to get me out of myself. Because we have our desires, our passions, the ways that we want to go, the things that we enjoy, and we let ourselves be the center. But we have to get you out of yourself. We need to get ourselves out of kind of those things and those places where we want to go in order to put others before us. And I'm not going to lie and say that it's going to be easy. But we've got to remember that there are true injustices in the world that the church is called to combat. And I know from studying church history, if you guys have been coming to Sunday school, we've been doing this historical theology kind of arc and when I was reading this passage, and then I was reading the, the, the Proverbs 21, verse 13, and Isaiah 58, I couldn't help but think about one of my heroes, uh, preacher, 
We actually mentioned him this morning in Sunday school by the name of George Whitfield, known as a, one of the greatest orators of all time. Benjamin Franklin was so mesmerized by, by uh, George Whitfield because he could go out to an open field and be heard two, three, four hundred yards away without any kind of microphone or magnification. He had a, a unique gift for a unique time because they didn't have electricity. Right? This is during the early 1700s to 1800s. And, well, mid-1700s to early 1800s. Now, George Whitfield, as he was coming into the United States and, and preaching and promoting the gospel and moved closer down to the south, uh, he started converting slave owners. And the slave owners appreciated his ministry. So much so that many of those slave owners said, here, not only we'll give you some funds to help your ministry, but since you've got some land, we'll give you some slaves to work your land so that you can fund your orphanages and so that you can fund your, your speaking ministry. And he also had ministry to convert slaves to the fullness of the faith. And one year, Georgia decided to have a... a ban on slavery. And do you know who was one of the biggest proponents to get that ban overturned to continue slavery? George Whitfield. Wrote people like Ben Franklin. Wrote his connections with the, the founders and, and the leadership of our country to have slavery reinstalled. He was such a son of his age, he did not see clearly the burdens he didn't free the yoke of those who are around him. He didn't loose the chains of those who are around him. He wasn't seeing that the here are individuals that were not being honored the way that they should. He couldn't see it. And one of the advantages of, of going back and looking at church history and looking at the ark, you got to say, wow, look at this person that understood the gospel that proclaimed the freedom in Christ and salvation and Jesus' righteousness to trust in him alone for your transformation and everything, and yet supported such an atrocity as slavery to keep the bounds on these individuals. And as a reminder to me, in what ways do I have cultural blinders? In what ways do I just sweep under the rug, if you will, the atrocities that are being done in our country and in our time, what ways am I not fighting? What ways am I not pouring myself out and breaking those yokes? I might say to myself, I love the Sabbath. I rejoice in the table week by week. I enjoy coming to this community of believers. But if I truly do love the Lord my God, that love should overflow and those around us. We need to get us out of ourselves. Because if we don't, we're not putting our love on who God is for us. We've got to remember that the gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue. But it is life itself. Not to be grasped in our understanding and memory. Just kind of rote knowing these doctrines. Or here's these steps that we need to do. Like other disciplines. But it must entirely grip our soul. It must have its seat and dwelling deep in our heart. Else it has not truly been received. 
Are you receiving the gospel today? Do you truly love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might? Are you trusting in the power of spirit to make that real in your life today? Then let's be a people in a church that pour ourselves out for the afflicted. So in our day, our cry will be heard before our Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for this morning. We praise you for this word. We, we realize that we likely have cultural blinders. We realize that there is wickedness, there is suffering, there is poorness, there is nakedness in this world that we try not to listen to. We don't want to hear it. Father, open our ears. Let our hearts bleed for those who are in need. Let us be a people that have such great love for you that we must pour ourselves out in those around us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.